Well, I want to thank you for being here for week two of this series we're calling How to Know When You Grow. And the goal of this series is pretty much in the title, we want to help you grow in your faith with Christ. If you're a believer, we want to help you make some progress on this journey of faith that we are all on together. Um, because growth is supposed to be a very normal part of life. Things grow. Most everything grows. We've a lot of us, I won't say we, a lot of us in this room have reached the age where we stop growing this way and we're more likely to grow this way, uh, but that's okay, right? That's fine. We're okay, I hope. Holiday, it's okay because the holidays are coming up. That's what we tell ourselves. And, you know, we have uh, kids. This past week, Abby took Eleanor to the doctor, and every time you take a kid to the doctor, they measure them, height, weight, and they do head circumference, and they've done that with all three of our kids, very spaced out intervals, and with the exception of James's head size pushing the boundaries of normal, all of our kids have turned out to be uh, following pretty normally down the growth pattern. And the reason they do that, though, is because, again, healthy things tend to grow. That's the way it works. And this isn't just in terms of your physical body, but it works with your maturity level as you grow up. It happens with your emotional maturity level as you grow. Uh, and it also happens to your spiritual life. There should be growth in this faith journey that we're on. You should be able to look back five, ten years and hopefully see progress, that you're different than you used to be. Growth should happen. And if you are a Christian, there should have been progress in your life between now and that moment when you gave your life to Christ. There should be a difference in the person you were at that moment when you became a Christian than there is now. There should be transformation in your life. And a healthy spiritual life, like everything else that's healthy, will grow. Now, last week we covered what normal growth looked like. And most of the time when things grow, it is so slow. I mean, you look at grass. We know grass grows, right? But I've never seen grass grow. Like, I've never watched my yard go, boop, and immediately. I've never actually watched it. Growth, most of the time, happens in these imperceptibly small little units of measurement, okay? But when you add all those little moments up, that's what gives us the growth that we are familiar with. When you add up all those teeny tiny moments. So that's what we talked about last week, how things normally grow. Now what I want to do when, in reference to our faith for this week and the next several weeks is I just want to ask the question, okay, that's how things normally grow, but do we ever have growth spurts? Are there ever moments where it's possible to have kind of a spiritual growth spurt? Where like kind of a moment or a situation or maybe even a choice you make that you think in that moment or you look back on that moment and go, that was huge for me. That was a big moment that is a defining moment in my faith. It wasn't imperceptible. It's a road marker, a landmark, a milestone that you look back on fondly in your life as something that significantly grew you in your walk with Christ. So do we ever have growth spurts? And I think we do. And I think in our spiritual life, there are plenty of those moments. And so today, the growth spurt that we're going to talk about is when you move from sitting to serving. You see, when we come to church, at least the American church and the way things are in the modern world, we show up on a Sunday morning, and almost everybody that starts attending our church, this is the front door. This is where people come in, and we come in, and we sit, and we listen to a guy like myself um, speak about the Bible to some extent, and we 
sing a few songs, and maybe we pray together, and then the service is over, and we leave. And you can do that for a number of weeks. But the way the Bible talks about Christians is that eventually, at some point along the way, we should get out of the seat and start serving. Our relationship or our encounters with God should not totally take place in a pew. Our interaction with the church family should not only be elbow to elbow because we're sitting all in the same direction facing, or sitting all in rows facing the same direction, but it should come because we are doing things together for the benefit of the church. And for me, some of the biggest moments of growth for me happened when I decided to actually stop being that consumer mind, having that consumer mindset and trying to be a contributor. Um, One of the first times I ever took that step from being a somebody who came to it was youth group at the time to like actually getting involved was um my youth group had a a band and you know several of our guys in my, from my class played the drums and one was on guitar and um they and one guy sang and there was a couple people and it rotated as time went on and I just kind of talked to my youth minister and I remember that phone call I don't know if he talked about serving or what whoa girl chill chill that's my baby I can say that uh, so um <laughs> And so I called him and I said, hey, I, could, I, would, I'll, I would be in the band if you needed somebody to sing. And I remember it was almost like I was calling to ask out a girl. Like I had the phone, dialed half the number and hung up. Like I re- it was so incredibly frightening to make that decision to actually serve because it, it, in, it invited me to tackle my fears. It invited me to step out and do something that I didn't know if I could do. I didn't know if I could do it well, and I didn't know if I would embarrass myself along the way. But I stepped out, and that was a change in my life to where I was not going to be somebody who attended church, but I was going to be somebody who was a part of the church. And I've had so many moments like that in my life where the moments I decided to get up and serve and do, they have defined my faith. And I look back on those moments, and even though they felt like huge hills to climb in that because of my fear, I look back now and I realize that was, that was even bigger than what I realized. That did more for my life than I will ever even understand. And so as I talk about you serving today, that's the, like, so there's the cat's out of the bag. This is, my goal is to hopefully inc- encourage more people to serve in our church. My fear, though, is that this is going to sound like some sort of a sales pitch. And that's not my goal, okay? This isn't a, a, hey, wouldn't you love to give up some of your limited free time and volunteer at that organization I help lead to make my life easier? Like, that's not what this is. Full disclosure, if everybody in the church volunteered to do something, that would absolutely make my life easier, okay? So I'm not going to hide that fact and pretend that's not true. It is true. My life gets easier when there's enough adults in the the kids' area, when there's enough people greeting. Uh, My life gets easier when there's people uh, cleaning things throughout the week. My life absolutely gets easier when there's musicians and enough people to do the audio and the visuals in the back. So yes, it is true that my life gets easier when everybody pitches in. But that is not the reason I'm talking about this. The reason I'm talking about this is because the Bible makes it clear that if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to truly say, I'm going to be somebody who every day gets up and I'm going to try to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, then you are going to have to at some point get out of the seat and start serving. Why? Because Jesus served. You're going to have to help. Why? Because Jesus helped. And if you want to follow the way that he walked, that's the way that we're going to have to go. And I am convinced, after being in church for coming up on 15-ish years now, maybe 16, I guess it's over 16, I miss my 15-year I miss my, uh, reunion. 
Uh, gosh, I'm so old. And um, I know you're thinking you're a baby. Whatever, I'm not anymore. I have no hair. And I'm getting gray in my beard, which is sad. And so um, I know, I know I'm whining, whining to people. I know. I'm, it's a, but after all of this, after going through all this, after all these years of being in the church and, and being involved at every level of church, I am convinced that you will never be a fully mature follower of Christ unless you start serving somewhere. And I will say that not all service has to take place in the church. I know some of you, you volunteer in organizations that do the work of Jesus outside of here. So I'm not saying it has to happen in the church, okay? That's the angle I'm going to talk about today because that's where we are and that's what we're going on. But service, though, is that key component to spiritual growth. It can be a, a huge milestone for you. So if you want to grab a Bible, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We'll start in the very first verse of that chapter. If you don't have a Bible, you can use one of the black ones near you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one. It's our gift to you. No one's going to tackle you out the door. We don't have a security sensor in there to set off alarms. It's going to embarrass you. It's all yours. You can have it. Um, just ignore any doodles the kid might have put in there. That's, that's just added. That's just free flair. Yeah, free artwork, exactly, yeah. Um, so here we go. This is the Apostle Paul. And he's talking to the church in the city of Rome. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as, what are those two words? Living sacrifices. Hang on to that. I encourage you to submit your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing, or that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the first thing the Apostle Paul talks about here is he says Christians are meant to be a living sacrifice. Now the word sacrifice isn't something that we really doesn't have any over significance in our culture. But 2,000 years ago, they lived in a, in, a, in a culture where one of the major people groups were the Jewish people. And sacrifice to them meant what? Like it meant killing an animal. It meant you took an animal of yours, the best animal you got. You took it to the temple. You gave it to a priest. The priest put it up on an altar and slit its throat. It screamed and wailed and whined as it bled out, and it died, and he killed it. That was a sacrifice. The word sacrifice carries with it the connotation here of death, of putting something to an end. In fact, a few years ago on Easter, Ben found a video and all it was talking about was like the Passover lamb and how Jesus is our Passover lamb. And the whole video is just this cute, I mean, the cutest little fluffy white lamb, baby little sheep there. It's, I mean, it's cuter than most kids I've seen. And it's sitting there, meh. And all of a sudden, there's a big knife just sitting there, and you see a hand reach in real slow. And I mean, you don't see anything. The video blanks out. But it just makes you nervous to watch it because we don't deal with that stuff. I mean, the church... Most Sundays, church is not a bloody affair, right? I mean, that's not something we see or talk about, but that's what this word meant to them. Sacrifice meant death. But Paul said, living sacrifice. That was, that's an oxymoron here. What does it mean to even be a living sacrifice? If it's not you that dies, then what's dying? Well, it's your way of life, the way you think. The selfish desires you have, the things that make you want to do what you want to do regardless of the consequences. You kill off your way of thinking, your thoughts about what is right and wrong, your standard of morality. All of that stuff goes away in submission to who God wants you to be. 
So you don't set the course for your life anymore. You are submitting yourself to walk the road God has for you. And that is what Christians are called to be. And I think this idea of surrendering to God's will is one of the main hiccups in our walk with Christ. And I think that includes uh, growing in Bible knowledge. I think it, me- it, it, it means in growing in terms of how often we are praying and how strong our, our prayer life is. And it applies even to serving. We oftentimes won't serve or won't do the things that we know we should do. Why? I just don't want to. I just don't want to. I got better things to do. My time is my time. I got busy, and I just, it wasn't that I was intentionally, maybe you weren't intentionally snubbing God, but you have to admit, you put other things first on the agenda than him. He, his will for you was not the first thing in line. It wasn't the first decider of what you were going to do in any, in a particular or given week. And so just to make changes, to submit to the fact that God wants us as Christians to live differently than everybody else, that takes surrender. That takes you and I being willing to be a living sacrifice. Uh, Here's a little quote from D.L. Moody that I read back in January. He says, the problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. That got a slightly bigger reaction than it did in January, okay? I think that's funny, okay? Because, again, they put an animal on the altar, and they killed it, and it stayed there. And then whether they burned it or whatever they did with it from that point on, it wasn't going anywhere. But God calls us to be a living sacrifice, which means we have the daily choice whether or not we're going to stay on the altar, offer our lives to God, or we're going to go off and do our own thing. And D.L. Moody makes a great point. He says, we tend to climb off the altar. We don't always want to do what God wants to do. And if I'm honest with you, I mean, I've said this before, and everyone looks at me like I'm joking, or, but there's some Sundays I would just as soon sleep in. You know how long it's been since I slept in on a Sunday? I do. It was about three or four weeks whenever Brad had to fill in for me because I was dying with whatever virus was ravaging my body. But before that, I couldn't tell you. Like, sometimes uh, you guys daydream about, like, winning the lottery. I daydream about sleeping in on Sunday. Like, that's a weird life for a minister. It never happens for me. But God has called me to something different. This is not just my job. It's my calling, and I get up and I serve. There are times when I don't want to give money to people who need money. Why? Because I have needs? No, because I have wants. And I want to elevate my wants over somebody else's needs. That's selfish and it's greedy and it's wrong. And God calls me to put that to death. But that is my choice to stand up there and say, God, today as well, I'm going to be a living sacrifice for you. And so as we get into any topic of spiritual growth, you and I have to decide, are we going to be a living sacrifice? Are we going to submit ourselves to what God wants us to do? We go on in verse 3. Paul says, For by the grace given To me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, we've all met people who thought a little bit more of themselves than everybody else did, uh, that thought they were kind of that indispensable cog in whatever machine they were in. I I, uh, got a job at a restaurant right after college, and if you've ever worked at a restaurant, you know that Things have to happen before the doors open, okay? The, all the dishes have to be in the right place. The cups got to be stacked. You got to get all the silverware, put them on napkins, roll them up, and put that little teeny piece of tape on there. You got to get the salad bar stocked. And one of the jobs that we did was we had to make the coleslaw. So they had these pre-cut bags of cabbage, and then they had a, a 
coleslaw that they kind of, they made in-house, but they would make batches of it, and so you would take a certain amount of the coleslaw sauce and mix it with the cabbage. So it was my day uh, after I started to do the coleslaw. First time I'd ever done it, and so I just turned around to somebody and I said, so how do I do this? And this girl went, takes everything out of my hands, starts scooping it in there, starts mixing it, and I'm just standing there like, and then you hear her like kind of like huffily say, nobody can do anything around here but me. Like, it's coleslaw. Like, it's not rocket science. Like, I'm not asking you, I'm not, like, you're not a brain surgeon. Like, anybody could have done this. I'm asking, how many scoops of this do I put into one bag of this? That's all the information I needed. I was competent to do that. But she decided to think, to convince herself that I'm important around here and nobody can get along without me. I'm so vital to this operation. And sometimes there's a temptation to think that in the church. If you do volunteer to think, oh, I helped out this place, and I do it right, and nobody else does it right, and if it weren't for me, man, that poor church, they wouldn't do anything. They would be falling apart without me. And we kind of have this tendency to think that we're that, that Jenga block, that one block that if you pulled it out, the whole tower goes down. Like this poor guy, right? Yeah, I put it on loop so we can appreciate it for but a moment, okay? But it was just that... I love how he's just like, what's happening to me right now? With his nose all squished. Okay, yeah, I'll move on. But, okay, but what happened? That one block was removed and the whole tower fell down. There's a temptation for you and I to think that we're that block. That if it weren't for us, the whole place would fall apart. And Paul says, no, there is nobody in a church that is that block. There is nobody here that is that one piece that if you removed it, everybody else would fall apart. And so there's this, the flip side of that attitude though, rather than you thinking, I'm that that one thing that can't be taken away. I'm the one part that's vital to this whole operation. You actually might think that about someone else. I I mentioned this uh, an hour ago in the Finding My Fit class, but there's a real tendency to think that the only people who can do ministry in a church are people that wear a title, minister. And there's only two of them around here, so me and Ben, and so ministers do ministry. In fact, why would we call them ministers if that's not what they were here to do? And so the ministers are the ones who baptize. The ministers are the ones who uh, do the sermons. The ministers are the ones who lead on Sundays for various things. But there's this idea to think that the minister, for some reason, is like, or, or even serving in a church is only for the spiritual elite. And maybe you're here and you've never even looked into serving and you see other people do a few things and you just kind of assume... They got something that I don't. I have nothing to offer. They have something to offer. I'm not here uh, to, to give because I don't have whatever it is they have. That's not true. That idea that there are certain people who are more important, more qualified, more spiritual, and that's what the church is made up of, those special sacred servants, that is not a thing that you will find anywhere in Scripture. Um, ben, the elders, myself, ministry is not reserved for those of us who just have an official title around here. And this has long been a bad, false, I think destructive idea that there is a difference between clergy and congregation. That there is some wide chasm between clergy and congregation. That is not there, it is not present anywhere in scripture. I am not the only one qualified to baptize people. People think that people think baptism is a big deal uh, to do. It is not. Have you? I mean, how many of you have siblings? Okay. How many of you have ever went swimming with your siblings? How many of you have ever pushed their head under the water? 
congratulations, you know how to baptize somebody. <laughs> like, there's a few things you, that I can t- show you to say to make, it, uh, to make it a little bit more official sounding than that. But, but I mean, there's, it's not something that, I, didn't ha- I, I think I was supposed to have a class on it, but I didn't have a class on it. And the first time I baptized somebody, I remember coming in here being like, Oh, man, everybody's looking at me like I know what to do, and I don't know. I don't have a clue. And I kid you not, I can tell this because it's been 10 years from now. I kid you not, I went back into my office, and I, and I Googled how to baptize someone. <laughs> See, don't, you, don't that make you feel better? Like, if you've had any preconceived notions about clergy being spiritually elite, hopefully that shattered them for you, okay? But there should not be this separation where ministers are the ones who can do stuff, and you kind of say, I don't have to serve, I don't have to put talents forth to do certain jobs because that's what they are here to do. And I will say this, my role here is more prominent, but it is not more important. And the reason I'm up here on stage with a microphone is not because I have some sort of spiritual maturity or biblical knowledge that nobody else in the building can possess. The reason I get to wear this microphone is because if you were to rank my fears, unlike most people, public speaking is not in my top five. Spiders, are all five of my top five. (laughs) Most people will say, public speaking, death, and then whatever else. I just, so I just am the guy who's not scared to put on the microphone. Um, There are other people here, they know the Bible more, there are more mature believers here, there are people here who are more gracious and merciful than I am. It's just that somehow, the least scared person tends to get on stage with the microphone. And here I am. I think Rick Stanifer knows way more about the Bible than I do, but the only way you'd ever get this microphone on him is if you hot glued it to his face while he was sleeping. <laughs> like, he, would, he does not ever want to preach a sermon ever, and, and that's okay, okay, you know? But, so I don't want you to think that there's this huge divide between church and congregation because that's not something that exists. It exists in certain denominations, but it's not present in the New Testament church in Scripture. In fact, in uh, Ephesians 4, Paul writes another letter to a church uh, in Ephesus, another uh, place in the Roman world, and he says that one of the jobs of church leaders is to train the church to do ministry. One of the main reasons why Ben and I are here is not to do all the things, but to help the church learn to do all the things so that ministry can be done by the whole body, so that we all grow up stronger, so that the church is made better by everybody using the gifts God has given them to to use. And so serving is not someone else's job. It is your job, my job, equally. And if you are Hearing this and you still think, okay, well, there's still a reason why I don't have to actually do anything. If you still have some sort of hesitancy or excuse as to why you don't have to do anything, let's see what Paul says as we keep going in verse 4. Paul says, For as in one body we have many members. Replace the word members with organ. Okay, he's, con- he's trying to relate the church body, this church family, the people here, to the human body. And just as the human body has all these parts and organs that work together to keep the body healthy, he's saying that's how the church is. There's supposed to be one people gathered together, united in Christ by the Holy Spirit, but we're all different parts that have a job to do. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So he's saying, God has given all of us different gifts. For whatever reason, I am no longer scared of public speaking. I used to be terrified of it. Somewhere along the way, that went away. I couldn't tell you the day it happened. It was slow over time. So 
if that's a gift, if that's a grace God has given to me, then I will use it for the good of the church, and I would gladly get up here and do the talking part. Okay? But whatever gift God has given you, you use that. Whatever grace God has shown you, you are to use that for the good of this church family. So he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The normal part of following Jesus should be every one of us contributing to the church body. That's how the church was meant to function. It was never meant to be performers and an audience. It was meant to be all of us doing our job. The time when you sit and listen and I speak, that was just one moment where I got to use the skills and gifts that God has given me for the benefit of the church, and then at other moments, we all pitch in and do a particular job that God has given us to do. You cannot think that you don't have a place here. He says every part of this body Every part of this, every person in this room is an organ in this church body. And every organ has to do its job for the body to be healthy. And don't you dare think, well, maybe I'm like the church's appendix, and there's not, I'm here, but I don't do a whole lot. Okay? Paul didn't know what an appendix was. Okay? This was 2,000 years ago. Paul didn't have Google. He didn't have a health class. He wasn't, you know, spending his off time cutting people open and fiddling around with their insides. He didn't know that there were a few parts of the body that don't do a whole lot. Okay? From his perspective, everything inside my body had a job, and the same is true for you. And that's what he's saying of the church. Everybody in here has a role, a job, a gift that they can contribute. And so if we go back to the start of the passage, what Paul is saying is serving, that's a part of us being a living sacrifice. You taking that step, maybe even in fear, maybe even in apprehension to say, I'm willing to use what God has given me. I'm here to figure out who I am and who God made me to be so that I can bless the church. Even taking that step in apprehension is you saying, I'm willing to be a living sacrifice. I'm willing to do and be who God wants me to be. I am not here to just sit and waste the gifts that God has given me. Part of your walk with Jesus has to be eventually getting up and serving. Because Jesus served, because Jesus helped, because Jesus was selfless. And Jesus, towards the end of his life, washed his disciples' stinky feet and said, this is how you live. You go out and you serve people. You're not here to be served your whole life. You are here to help and you are here to serve. And he wanted that, that image to be so ground into their head that he was willing to get his hands out. The hands of God got in between and scrubbed the dirt and gunk and who knows what kind of fungus and whatever animal leftovers they stepped on on the road. And he scraped that out from between their toes with his very hands so that he could say, you are here to follow in my footsteps and I serve that is who we are called to be. And so if you want to say this in a way that I hope is memorable, let's say this. My participation is necessary for my transformation. I will never be the person God wants me to be if I don't participate in the church. I will never be. And again, I look back at my life, and again, those huge moments were, when I, when I stepped up to serve, they, they are defining for me. Um, but I look, here's another thing I think about. I have never jumped into one of those moments will, fully willingly. It was always with hesitation. It was always with apprehension. And sometimes it was because somebody else was yanking me into it, and I didn't want to go at all. Uh, I remember when I, I went to Bible college, 
I was so reluctant. I, I, even when I went to Bible college, I was still saying, dear God, I'll, okay, I'll do this, but I'm not going to be a minister. But every, I'll, I'll go here, but I'll be like a counselor, but I ain't going to minister in a church, and I'm still not going to stand up in front of people and talk because that's awful. And so I knew I wasn't going to do that. And then after being there a semester, God just kind of worked in my heart, and, I'm, and he put me on the floor full of preaching majors, and I kind of caught the message, and I said, okay, I'll declare my major as preaching. And I went home that semester. That was the last thing I did before my first semester was over. I declared my major as preaching, and I went home. And a few days later, I got a call from a guy at a small country church who said, hey, I've been preaching at this call, small country church. Um, I have Parkinson's, and I can't do it anymore. And I was trying to think of what this small church was going to do because they have a hard time getting and keeping pastors, and your name came to mind. So you want to do it? I haven't, I've never, I haven't had a preaching class yet, and I don't, I've never been a pastor, I've really only been a Christian like two, three years at this point, I'll come and I'll visit, and we'll just see what happens, and I was just like, I'll take that step, and I ended up preaching at that church for three years, and it was terrible, and it was scary, and I had so much fear every time I got up on that stage for the longest time, and I remember just the moment I started to think, Sundays aren't awful anymore. This is okay. Maybe I can do this. I went on a trip with school, and I missed three Sundays in a row, and then that Sunday I was supposed to go back. I was like, oh, I'm scared again. Oh, no. I missed three weeks, and it ruined everything. I can't, oh, this is going to be terrible, and so it came right back in full force, and so, but I look back on that, and that simple decision that was full of hesitation and full of fear to just say, I'll come and visit and just see what maybe God is doing changed my life, and I'm, I'm here, and and. I ended up meeting my wife at Bible College. I ended up uh, coming to Loami. I've had kids here in this amazing church, and we've, we've raised them here, and it's been amazing, and I've loved every second of being here, and except not every second. There's been a few spiders that Ben tries to put in my office. That's not great. But anyway, I've loved most of it, most of it, okay? But every time I look back, those moments of me saying, okay, those are, those are the biggest moments that transform my life and transform my heart. Because you can have knowledge, you can have Bible knowledge all day long, you can know all the rules, all the vows and thou shalt nots. But God put you here not just to know, but to do and to make a difference. You are a person who has purpose in your life. And let me just say, if you are here, and this is going to be another plug, and I don't mean for it to all be plugs here, but if you say, I don't know who I am, who, I don't know who God made me, made me be, I don't know what I'm here to do. I would encourage you that finding my fit class, that's why I put that together, because I used to feel that way. I used to think, I don't know who I am or what God made me to do. I've got a lot of skills, and I can't see for how any of them could be used in the church. I mean, I used to be really good at video games. Okay, God, how, where's, that, where's that place? I would let, I'll serve you all day playing Legend of Zelda. Where's that place in the church? I never saw it. I still haven't found it. If you know it, let me know. I can go back. Um, but I, if you don't know... I would encourage you, come to that class next week. In fact, just by being in this sermon, you heard most of what I said in the Finding My Fit class. All the people that are here today just got it twice if they went to the Finding My Fit class and came to the sermon, and that was not intentional. I set both of those classes up like kind of separately, and then uh, and I looked at it today or this past week, and I was like, oh, those are all, I feel bad for those people that are coming to the class. They're going to think, I could have slept in. Thanks a lot, Anthony. But... But if you want to come, want to discover who God made you to be, come to that class next week, 9 a.m. You don't have to sign up or anything. I can make more copies if more people come. That's fine. But I just want us to understand we can't, we can't get around this idea. 
God didn't mean for us to get around this idea. Your life was meant to be one of purpose, not one of sitting, not one of absorbing, but one of doing and one of making a difference. We walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We serve because he served. We help because he helped. We sacrifice because that's what he did for us. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for this call to serve. And when we don't serve or when we've been out of it for a while, it gets old to hear people ask for service. But there's something that happens in our life when we actually submit to you and we get involved. I have been more blessed by serving than I have ever blessed anyone else. And that's a weird thing that doesn't even make sense for how you've designed it. We're, we're, when we get into a situation where we are supposed to give and pour ourselves out for others, oftentimes we walk away more blessed than, by, than any blessing we were able to hand out in that moment of service. I have learned more about your scripture when I volunteered to stand up and teach it. I have learned more about humility when I've had to get into your word and talk about humility. I have learned more about kindness when I've had to step into hospital rooms and talk to people who were dying for kindness, who were aching for kindness in that moment, who were aching for hope in that moment. And Father, I just pray that as we are your people, as we want to follow in your footsteps, that we would be people who understand we can't sit. You made us to participate and that you will change our lives in amazing ways that we can't even foresee when we take those often hesitant steps to say, yes, God, I will serve. Yes, God, I will do whatever it is that you have me do. So grow us in that way. Grow us in every way that you want. Change us to be the people you've called us to be. We are your living sacrifices. Help us to stay on the altar. In Jesus' name, amen.